Amen. Well, a lot of us uh, got to take some time in this past week to pause and to give thanks to God, acknowledging that uh, every blessing that is ours is from Him, and He has blessed us in so many ways. So we're a, we're a blessed people, um, but we have to also be honest and recognize that even though, yes, we are a blessed people, we're also still a mess in a lot of different ways. I was just talking to Steve Smuck right before the worship service. He was blessed to be able to drive all the way out to Idaho to visit his brother, but doing so knowing that as he turned around to come home, that might be the last time he sees his brother on the face of this earth, right? That, that's it's just life in this fallen world. Our lives are so blessed and such a mess in so many ways, tainted by addictions and failures and sin. We feel the sting of death and divorce and depression. We sense the nagging pain of loneliness and insecurity, infertility, aging bodies that just don't do the things that they used to do. And so we totally, those of us who are in Christ, we trust God's promise that one day all who are His will be gathered together around the throne, as it says in Revelation, to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And so we look forward to the day when we will be all together as God's people in God's place under God's good rule. We know that in Christ we are bound for the promised land But we also know pretty clearly that we're not there yet. We know we're blessed, but we're still kind of a mess. And we wonder, how are we going to get there from here? How will this ever all work out? We've been walking through uh, the Old Testament covenants, God's promises to His people as a way to not only help us better understand the Old Testament, but to help us as a people trust in the God who keeps covenant and to help us long for Jesus, to put us in the shoes of the people who throughout the generations uh, laid out for us in the Old Testament were longing for a Messiah to come. So in Genesis chapter Three, which we spent looked at a couple of weeks ago, we looked at God's covenant with Adam and how Adam and Eve failed and God came to them in the garden and God shared with them a curse, first to the serpent, then the woman, and then the man. But one of the verses that we skipped over in that held a great promise in the midst of the curse. People often refer to it as the first proclamation of the gospel in the Bible. It's in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Where in the midst of the curse, God makes this promise that the offspring of the woman will bruise or crush the head of the serpent. That while it will look for a time that the serpent is winning, that a time is coming when the offspring of woman will come and crush the head of the serpent. So so there's this hope. And so we keep looking as we read through the rest of Genesis. Well, is this the offspring of woman who comes to crush the head of the serpent? And right away in Genesis chapter 4, we see the offspring of the woman, Cain, kill the offspring of the woman, Abel. Like, well, it can't be them. And then last week we looked at Noah, and we saw how evil things had gotten and how God's judgment would be poured out on all of creation, sparing only some of the animals and eight members of Noah's family. 
And then even after that, if you kept going in, that's kind of where we were last week, Genesis 6 through 9, but you keep going from there and you find by the time you get to Genesis chapter 11 that people had rebelled again against God. And instead of acknowledging God's greatness and worshiping Him because He's worthy, they tried to build something for themselves to exalt their greatness, to build the Tower of Babel, and God would come and judge them and scatter them. Many people living in many nations, speaking many languages now. And that takes us to Genesis chapter 12. Today we're going to look at Genesis 15. The front of the bulletin has all of these different passages listed because I wasn't sure which one I was going to go with. I'm going to read Genesis 12 really quick right now, but the message will focus on Genesis 15, so we'll get to that in a minute. But we need to understand the context by looking at Genesis 12 really quick. So if you have a Bible with you, open up to Genesis chapter 12. Wondering, remember, how is God going to bring victory through the offspring of a woman when everything is such a mess and we see God starting His plan here with one man? says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be Blessed. So we heard the word blessing showing up a ton of times there in those short verses, but we also see some barriers to the blessing. Joshua 24 verse 2 would tell us that the man that God is calling at this time, he's not a man who worships the one true God, he's a man that worships many different gods. Yet God is calling this man to himself to be his people, and we other thing, the other thing that we find out if we backed up just a little bit is that he is at this time Actually, if, if we go ahead, verse 4. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now, if you continue reading, you would find out another thing about this man named Abram, that God promised he would bless him by making a great nation. What do nations need? Nations need land, and nations need people, right? But he is telling Abram to leave the land that he came from and go to a land that God was. So right now, Abram doesn't have a land, and he also doesn't have people. He's 75 years old, his wife 10 years younger than him. They don't have any children yet, right? So, so you wonder, how is God going to work out his promise? This seems interesting. So there's tension as you walk through not only the words of Genesis, but through the whole Bible Wondering, how is God going to take in Genesis here one old guy who's been worshiping idols, he's got no people, no place, and how is he going to make out of him a great nation through whom every nation and every family and all of the earth will be blessed? God's made a promise to bless, but right now, things kind of look like a mess. It's all sorts of barriers that must make Abraham say, huh? <laughs> And must make the people who, to whom Moses was writing this book. Remember, as, as the people of God received the first five books of the Bible, they're wandering in the wilderness. They're also a people now, but they don't have a place. They're wandering in the wilderness, wondering, how is God going to fulfill the promise made to Abram here? So, this covenant that God will make with Abram gets kind of reiterated a number of different times. And the one we're going to look at now is as it gets established here in Genesis chapter 15. So 
If you have a Bible with you, open up to Genesis chapter 15. And if you're able to, would you stand as I pray and then we read God's Word. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we are blessed. Thank you. And we are a mess, and you know it, and we need you. So now as we open up your word, help us to have minds able to understand it, hearts willing to believe it. I pray that you would work up in us a deeper trust in you and a greater longing for your Son. Knowing that I can't accomplish that with my words, but you can accomplish that with your words and the work of your Spirit, I pray that your Spirit would be at work in us for that purpose now. In Jesus' name, amen. God's Word then from Genesis chapter 15. After these things, the Word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and the member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half, and when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Amen. You can be seated. All right, in your uh, bulletin, again, you would have a spot to take some sermon notes if that's helpful for you, along with the life group guide as you meet together in the coming week. If you're not in a life group, want to be in one, let us know. Uh, But here's what we have. Uh, 
I want to fill in a little bit of the context. Um, I read Genesis 12 a little bit ago. We just read Genesis 15. What happens in between those things is healthy, helpful. What happened was this. Abram left Haran like God told him to. He went through Canaan and down to Egypt because there was a famine in that land. By the time he and his family, which is just at this point his wife and his nephew, leave Egypt, they are wealthy because they're given a number of possessions. But there's some conflict between Abram and his nephew Lot, and so they separate. They each kind of go to a different spot. And Abram and Sarai settle by the oaks of Mamre at Hebron. Then in chapter 14, there's this conflict between some kings in the area. Lot gets caught up in it. Abram rescues him. And then there's an interaction between this king and priest of the God Most High named Melchizedek, which as you read it in Genesis chapter 14, you're like, where did this guy come from? And why is this here? And you have to wait basically until you get to the book of Hebrews, some in Psalms, but mostly the book of Hebrews in the New Testament to totally understand the significance of this in chapter 14. And on the heels of that, we don't know how much time has elapsed from when the 75-year-old Abram left Tehran until we get to chapter 15, but that's where we're at. I'm not going to read all of that passage again. We just read it together, but I want to point out a couple of things and help us to understand some things that we might, upon first reading, be like, I don't really get that. Okay. So the first thing I want to point out is this. In verse 1 of chapter 15, what God is promising to a man named Abram is he is promising, again, like he made a promise back in chapter 12, now he's promising protection. He says, I will be your shield, and he's promising him provision, a great reward. But Abram, of course, remembers the promise. He has left his homeland and done all of this, trusting in God's promise, right? But the promise had something to do with a great nation, and he still is an old guy without kids. And so, he answers in verses 2 and 3, asking God, what will you give me? I continue childless. And in verse 3, behold, you have given me no offspring. His concern is, like, if you want my heir, this, this promise that you've given to me to be passed on to somebody, I don't even have a child. I've got some people working in my household now. Eliezer of Damascus, is that your plan? That the promise passes from me to a servant in my household? What about offspring, right? And God has Abram go outside and look towards the heaven, numbering the stars, and says, if you're able to number them, so shall your offspring be. There's all sorts of things that would cause me, if I were in Abram's shoes, to Say, huh? How's this going to work? Yet it says in verse 6, a key verse, and he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Uh, Believed really kind of just means this considered dependable. Okay? Abram, though he could look at his circumstances and say, this this isn't going to work, this isn't going to happen. It's been a while since you've made the promise, and even at the time you made the promise, it didn't look very likely, and as time goes by, it looks even less likely according to the circumstances, yet Abram's trust is not in the circumstances, it's in the God who made the promise, and so he considers that God dependable. 
And then it says this really good news. He believed the Lord and he counted it to him or credited it to him as righteousness. Abram becomes acceptable to God based on faith. The basis of his acceptance or his imputed righteousness is faith. The New Testament will make a really big deal of this later. And then what we see in verses 7 to 21 is a guarantee. Okay, if you have a phone, you have likely uh, gotten the phone call multiple times letting you know that your car's warranty is expiring, right? Have you gotten that call? Surely you've gotten that call. Now, I've never owned a car that has a warranty left on it, and so I ignore that call really quickly and hang up. Right? Maybe you've listened for a while. Hopefully you haven't responded in any way. Well, what's a, what's a warranty? A warranty that is put on a car is, is an agreement that if something goes wrong in this time frame, the, the maker of the car or the, the dealer of the car is going to fix it for you. That if anything goes wrong, it's on them to make it Work. A warranty is just the formal legal version of a guarantee or a promise that your car is going to function correctly. Well, what we see in verses 7 to 21 is God guaranteeing to fulfill his promise, his covenant promise to Abram. God guarantees that he will fulfill it. I read it all earlier, won't read it again, but there's a part that you would read here, like if you got a warranty in your car, you probably just signed a sheet of paper after a whole bunch of kind of legalese fine print. The way that the covenant is guaranteed in this culture is very different than the way that we would guarantee a covenant. You heard as I was reading this, then you can read it again if you want there in verses 7 through 11, that Abram was told to go and gather three animals to cut them in half along with two birds. And these are significant animals, a heifer, a goat, and a ram that he is to cut in half and lay down on the ground. And so Abram does it, we see in verses 7 through 11. And as you can imagine, after a full day of butchering three animals, he's tired. So you get to verse 12 and it tells us as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. If you continue on in verses 13 through 16, you hear what God says to Abram. Again, promising him that his offspring, which he doesn't have yet, right? His offspring will be sojourners in a land not their own. So God has promised a people which he doesn't have yet and a land which he doesn't have yet. And now God is sharing with Abram, it's going to be a while. In fact, you're going to die. You're going to be buried at a good old age. And your people are going to suffer 400 years, right? So God will fulfill his promise. Abram won't see it in his lifetime. God reveals that to Abram while he sleeps. And then we turn to verse 17, and I, I didn't mention, I should have mentioned this earlier, the way this, the, 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 whole, the whole understanding of a covenant, a guarantee, uh, and, and these animals being split in half, like what's all that about? Well, what would normally happen is the two people then agreeing to that covenant 
would walk between the animals split in half together. Right? So, so they would walk through it together as, as if to say, if I don't hold up my end of this agreement, may I be like these animals who have been split in half. Like, you, you, have, you have my word that I will fulfill my end of the agreement, my part of the covenant. What's interesting here, as we get to verse 17, is Abram doesn't walk through it. Instead, what we have, symbolized here by a smoking fire pot and flaming torch, oftentimes God is symbolized by those kinds of things, right? right? Like a pillar of fire by night is God's presence with his people. When, when Moses hears God speak, he hears it coming from a burning bush, right? So here in verse 17, we see, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your offspring I give this land. The one who walks through the animals torn in half, the one who says, this is on me, I will take the curse, is not Abram, but God. That's going to be important as we go forward. As you go through the rest of Genesis, you're going to see God's covenant with Abram reaffirmed. In fact, he actually gets a different name, just adds a letter uh, or two in our language, Abraham, in chapter 17. That would have been a great passage to preach as well. And then he reaffirms it again in chapter 22. If you're in a life group this week, you'll spend a little more time looking at those things. And you're going to see that God's family is preserved and multiplied as we walk through the book of Genesis. Abraham's family does indeed grow into a nation uh, renamed Israel. And the rest of the Old Testament is filled with Israel's victories and defeats. They will spend some time, as you go through the rest of the Old Testament, living as God's unified people in God's place under God's rule. But if you read the whole Old Testament, a lot of their time is characterized not by God's people living in God's place under God's rule, but instead God's people living in slavery, wandering, living in exile, Experiencing division and war and complaining and grumbling and sin and all sorts of other things. And by the time you get to the end of the Old Testament, you have a small remnant of God's people living in a small remnant of God's land. And after 400 years of silence, God's people wonder, how's this ever going to work out? When will the offspring of woman come to fulfill God's promise and crush the head of the serpent? Still hasn't happened. 2,000 years since the promise made to Abram. Still hasn't happened. How will this Abram's offspring be a blessing to every nation on the earth? Just a tiny people trying to survive, trying to make it. Will God's people ever live together in unity in God's place under God's rule? Is this actually going to happen? And these questions don't get answered until another promise is made. But this time not to an old woman, 
but to a very young woman who's not yet married. In fact, she's a virgin. And if you flipped ahead in your Bible to Luke chapter 1, you would read of the time when just after Mary has been told that she, the Holy Spirit will come upon her and the power of the Most High will overshadow her and the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. Nothing is impossible with God. And so this young virgin Mary goes to be with Elizabeth. Pick it up in Luke chapter 1, verse 42. This is Elizabeth speaking. It says, And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary can't help it. She has to sing. And at the end of the song, look at verses 54 and 55. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to His offspring forever. Young Mary Whatever else might be going through her mind, at least at this moment, seems to get it. The offspring that she's carrying in her womb is the fulfillment of the promise made to Abraham. God is faithful. And so that's why Matthew begins his gospel in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, in this way. It's a genealogy for the first 7 or 17, 11 verses, something like that. But Matthew 1, 1 says this, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Right? So we see that all these promises to Abraham that, that you're wondering all this time, like, how is God going to work this all out? And as the young virgin Mary is now with child, we start to see the answer unfolding. But, but here's where the rubber meets the road for us. <laughs> Was this blessing just for the descendants of Abraham? Is it just for the nation that became Israel? What about Gentiles? Like, what about an American guy with Swedish ancestry living 2,000 years after the events that we read about here in Luke and 4,000 years after the promise made to Abraham? Does this matter for us? It does. I want you to turn to Galatians chapter 3. This isn't normally how I preach. This is hard. Uh, <laughs> I like to just stick in one passage and just be there, but I can't leave us hanging in Genesis 15 and not get us to Jesus and see how it is that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise given to Abraham. And so look at Galatians chapter 3. Remember how in Galatians 15, as the animals are split and God is the one who, who walks through them, taking the curse on Himself in order that the covenant might be fulfilled. Look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Galatians 3.13 says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, 
Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Just like God guaranteed that he would fulfill his covenant promise to Abram by walking himself through those split animals in Genesis 15, Jesus, Son of God, God himself, comes to earth and becomes a curse for us, being hanged on the tree. Well, to whom does this apply? Look at verse 14, the very next verse there in Galatians 3. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. This is good news. That in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Well, this is really, really good news. Let's, let's look a little bit more. Let's skip down. Uh, let's skip up, and then we'll skip down. Go back up to, to verse 6. Galatians 3, verse 6 says, Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. We saw that, right, in Genesis 15, verse 6. Abram believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's quoted again here in Galatians 3, verse 6. Keep going in verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, how? By faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. That was Genesis 12, 3 that we read earlier. And Paul, as he writes the letter to the church in Galatia, says that's the gospel being preached by God to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. In you shall all the nations be blessed. Read verse 9. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Just in case you didn't get it yet, skip down to the end of the chapter, verse 29, Galatians 3, 29. And if you are Christ's, if you belong to Christ, if you are in Christ, if you have trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Abram was wondering I don't have any kids. I don't have any land. Who's going to inherit the promise? Is it going to be Eliezer of Damascus? Well, in the end, it's us, heirs according to the promise, co-heirs with Christ, the offspring of Abraham, promised and fulfilled. This is, this is really good news. That's why Peter can say to the church, I'm probably going to come back to this one next week, so we're not going to spend much time here. I just got to read it to you. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. Peter, speaking to the church, says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim, this is why God saves us, why we're his people, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once, you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once, you had not received mercy, 
but now you have received mercy. This is who we are in Christ. Heirs according to the promise. A chosen race, a holy nation, his own people. If you trust in Jesus, this is who you are now. So we are indeed blessed, aren't we? A lot of times when we talk about being blessed, we're talking about, man, I had a really good meal, like way too much of a really good meal in a really nice house with some people I kind of like, right? Yeah, you're blessed because of that. But if you want to talk about being blessed, look at who the Scripture says we are in Christ. In the middle of our mess, sometimes wondering, how is this all going to work out? We remember who we are and remember where all things are headed. I love it that we started singing that song, Is He Worthy Today? It's taken right actually from Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, where it says this, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. Listen to this. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Abraham saw a lot of barriers, but he believed the Lord who promised to bless him and his descendants. We are a blessed people, not primarily because of the big meal in a big house with a big family. Because some of you didn't get to experience that. So, so i got better news than a big meal in a big house with a big family. The better news is we who trust in Jesus, we who acknowledge before God that I'm a sinner, I'm not your people, I'm an orphan and I need to be adopted, I'm a sinner and I need to be saved, who put our faith in Jesus, who took the curse for us, was hanged on a tree for us, who raised with victory over sin and death, who is crushing the head of the serpent, the offspring of Abraham. We who trust in Him, this is our inheritance kept in heaven for us where it will never perish, spoil, or fade. This is what we look forward to. Heirs according to the promise. By God's grace through faith in Jesus, knowing that one day we will be together with all of God's people in God's place under God's rule good news. Let's pray. God, we're blessed and we know it. And we also confess, like Abraham, that we sometimes look at the barriers all around us. We look at the mess all around us. We wonder, how's this all going to work out? Thank you, God, that you will fulfill every one of your promises. On Jordan's stormy banks we stand and cast a wishful eye to the land where our true possessions lie. We're bound for the promised land, and we know you're going to get us there as we trust in your Son. So thank you for sending your Son to be the offspring of a woman, to become a curse for us, to crush the head of the serpent. You, Jesus, are King, you are Lord, and you are worthy of our worship, and we pray in your name. Amen.